0: Amen. Good morning. How are you? You did it. You got your clock set properly, right? Or you pulled into the church parking lot and went, oops, and went and grabbed breakfast. Either way, it works. So you're here, and I'm happy for that. We're going to start a new series this month. We're just calling it more about the Bible. Uh, we're going to just look practically at some com- components of the Bible, and mainly, like, how do we get this thing? Like, how, how did it come to be that it is a book like this with uh, the different volumes that are in it? And so we're going to look at that over the next four weeks And just ask those kind of questions. So this we're going to just look at what's in the Bible, what's the breakdown of the different books, and how did it get uh, what we call canonized, or put together like it is. And then next week, uh, chapter and verse, how did that come about? How... How did it come that we can say, turn to such and such a book in this chapter and this verse? In fact, sometimes people ask me if I know math, and I'd say, hey, the only math I need to know is like, you know, turn to 4 verse 3. That's all I need to know. Right, former math teacher? So, yeah, um, that's all I need to know. So... That's what we're going to look at this month. Um, so if you have your Bibles, you can. we're really going to be preaching through the table of contents this week, the most exciting place to look at in the Bible. Well, it's pretty exciting. Um, and we actually have to go there more than we think sometimes, right, when we're looking for something. So we're going to work through this. You've got your sermon. There's a lot of blanks. I'm just going to kind of fly through uh, because there's a lot of information here. If you're at home... Uh, I'm going to be tracking through this, and you can look at windoverhills.org, and you can just look, bulletin, click on that, and you'll see the sermon notes. It might be helpful for you to be able to track along in this way. So, sound good? All right. More about the Bible. The Bible, this book that you and I have, is made up of two testaments. Did you know that one already? All right? Did you know that? All right. Because if I turn this into a trivia question, you know, we could go south quick, so I won't do that to you. Uh, it's made up of two testaments. And a testament is actually a covenant. That is what the word "testament" means. It's covenant. Now, you and I don't often think that way when we think about testament. We think of volume when we think of testament. We think, oh, volume one, volume two. Like maybe you're reading, uh, I don't know, you're reading some, something and it has different volumes. We used to have. You remember the people that would knock on your door and they try to sell you encyclopedias? Do you remember that? Yeah. And they're going to sell you multiple volumes of this, and they were actually right on the side. Someone in our church years ago was leaving, going out of country, moving out of country, and they brought me their books. And it was multiple volumes all of Martin Luther's sermons, all of John Wesley's works, right? And all these volumes. That's how we think. But that's not how the Bible is put together. It's not what testament means, it's covenant. It is centered around two specific covenants. It's not the only two covenants in the Bible, but it's centered around. The Old Testament is centered around a covenant with Israel, with God's chosen people of the Old Testament. In fact, you would know when you say Israel, you would know them as the Hebrews, the Israelites in the New Testament, the Jewish people, all of those kind of the same name. We won't say the exact same. There was some modifications as it went, but and why they used the different names. But really, that is the group that would be called God's chosen people. There was a covenant made with them in the very beginning through Abraham. And so that is what we see in the Old Testament, and it carries through all the way. And so we have to interpret what we know in the Old Testament or Old Covenant based on that covenant that God made with Israel. And so, uh, as you're reading God's word, if you want to jump in there and say, I'm going mean, to, we're coming up on, on January 1st, not too long ago, or too far ahead of us, and you're going to be like, I'm going to read through the Bible. And when you start reading through it, and you're pounding through some tough stuff at the beginning of the Old Testament, remember the covenant And everything is grounded in the covenant made with Israel. But there's another covenant because Jesus comes and makes covenant with us, with really everyone, with believers. So it's broadened outside of just the Hebrews or the the nation of Israel. And it is for everyone to come to know Jesus Christ. And so there's a new covenant with believers, we get our first glimpse of this new covenant in the book of Jeremiah, where there's, it's prophesied about a day is coming. I'm going to offer a new covenant. It's going to be written on your hearts. Jesus picks up this terminology in the gospel and he continues on. And it's clear if you're like, well, Jesus picks this up. What did people understand? Then we read Paul and Peter and others, and we go, wow, they understood it that way too, that there was a new covenant. That was offered. So that is the makeup of this. Now, is that a super generalization? Yes. It would be missing a lot of things that are really important to read in this book. But that's the overview two covenants. So when you say turn to the Old Testament, and you're thinking turn to the old volume, right? That's old stuff. I want to read the new stuff, which is pretty old, right? The new stuff. Think in terms of turn to the old covenant. This is grounded in a chosen people who a covenant was made with those people. And then we look in the New Testament, and sometimes, and this might be a fault, we look at the New Testament, the New Covenant, and say, oh, that's all for me. None of that stuff in the Old Covenant is for me. That would not be proper thinking. But when we look in the New Covenant, and we say, oh, this is centered around a covenant made with me. Made with me. So that's kind of how it's broken down. We'll go more into that in the coming weeks, but that's your generalization. Hey, let's take a look at that Old Covenant first, right? It's made up of how many books? Yeah, 63, right? Well, some of you are like, yeah, that sounds right. That sounds about right. Yeah. No, 39 books, it's made up. Um, So 39 different writings, it's made up of. If you were to look at them And you would ask the question, we don't ever ask this, right? But we'd say, why are they called books? It would be a very good question. Most of them don't read quite like books. They're just writings that were put together. And when they're cataloged together, they're simply called books, Now, our Old Testament that we have, our Old Covenant that we understand, our 39 books, that is really a Protestant version of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament. There are a couple other versions of that. Our our Catholic friends have a different version, and our Orthodox friends have a different version. And so um, ours find their way into theirs, but there are some additional books that the Protestant uh, group said, no, I don't quite see those fitting to go into the Bible, or as we would say, the canon, which is really the collection of books. That's how we get to 39 here. Now, there's much more you can learn about that, that we just wouldn't have time to walk through the wise Of all that. But if you want to get steered in that direction, I'm happy to help, or you can find a lot of information online. The first five books of this old covenant really hold the covenant, they introduce the covenant with the people. And we find those in called the Pentateuch, or the Law, or Torah. You've heard all those words used before. And that's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. So those are our first five books of the Bible. Those are like, if you're starting the year and you're, I'm reading through the Bible, and you crank through Genesis, that's a lot of narrative. There's a lot of story there. couple points where you hit begats and, and genealogies, and you're going like, whoo, pound through it, right? But good story. You get to Exodus, and you're like, man, good story here. And then you hit part of Exodus, and you're going like, okay, what... What's happening here? The law gets introduced, and it gets a little tougher to get through. Uh, and then you get in Leviticus and Numbers, and you get all of the law. Then you get to read an, a, a census, right? You know, uh, when we have census around here, they always send out. By law, they have to send you the results of the census when they're all done. So I don't know how they do it now. Um, it used to be, you know, they'd send it in the mail, probably online or now. Um, my guess is you don't take a lot of time to read those census when they come out. Like, you're not going to, hey, by law, you got to give me this. I want to read this, all right? Well, the book of Numbers is heavy on census. So it can be tough to work through there. And then we get Deuteronomy uh, as well, another interpretation of the law. Now, there's narrative mixed in with all of that. But this is the Pentateuch, the first five books. Uh, listen, when we look at this sometimes, we think of the law as creation. This is the start, Right? But it's so much more. In fact, for in Jesus' day, for the Jewish people, they would look at the Torah, the first five books, the law. That was their central books. That was their central writings that they based everything off of. And so the other books we're going to talk about, those flow out of the first five, but those first five was the key. And that's why every young boy had to memorize, yes, memorize the Torah memorize those you've looked at them. They're not small books. You know, they're not like the size of Eastern States. They're Western States. They're big books to work through memorized. That's how central the law is. I mean, think about that. The next time you look at one verse and say, I should memorize that. Oh man, that's like three lines. How am I going to do that? You know, they were memorizing these. That's how central it was that they would know this scripture. Then we move on, and there's a section that starts with the book of Joshua. Um, and what do we learn in Joshua? We're going to start to see occupation of the promised land. So once there's occupation, we have these books that go from Joshua to Esther that are heavy on the history. They share the history. Now, I would love to tell you, just read Joshua straight through Esther, and it'll be a perfect chronology. You know, like the timeline will go perfectly straight through It doesn't quite work that way. There's some forward, jump back a little bit, jump forward, maybe skip around, spin in circles. There's a little bit of that that goes on in there too. But in general, they are history books. They're sharing the history of God's people who he has made covenant with in the Torah. And so we have Joshua and Judges and Ruth, First and Second Samuel, First and Second Kings, First and Second Chronicles. Your notes say one seven two Chronicles. So um, that must have been my typing, not quite hitting shift and the seven. Um, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Esther. Now, what history you might be talking about? Like all the history that happened before the prophets? No, all the history. It's all there from the moment that they go in to the Promised Land past the exile when Babylon came in, wiped them out, to when they were returned to Jerusalem and rebuilt Jerusalem. All of that history is there. And so for a second, here's what I want you to do. Think about the history books right here. Just pretend my hands stay up the whole time, and this is your history books right here. We'll come back to that in just a few moments. That's your history. So if you love history, this is a great one to read. And you're going to find When the people were obedient to God, pretty good things happened. When they were not obedient to God, not very good things happened. And you're going to also find in the history that disobedience was not always worshiping another God. Sometimes it was just kind of forgetting about God for a few years and doing your own thing, right? And so there's a lot to gain and learn in the history books. Then we have this weird standalone book. It's called uh, Job, right? Um, And it's a a very interesting book. I mean, the, the lessons it teaches us are very strong about faith in the midst of difficult, hard situations. My guess is you've gone through some horrible stuff, some tough stuff. You may be going through something now. You probably haven't endured what Job endured in the book of Job. The chronology is a little tough on Job. In fact, if you want to read different biblical scholars, they'll place it in a lot of different places. Um, many, most place it somewhere in the time of Genesis that early, but they're still, they're all over the map. But likely, it's before going into the promised land. Just the way it reads and the way it lines up with some of the other things in the Pentateuch or the Torah books, it seems to be in there. But it's kind of a standalone book. Now, we move on and we hit these books that we like to quote a lot of things. In fact, they're wonderful, wonderful Facebook quotes that come out of these books, right? We call them history and poetry books. And wisdom books, you might call, I said history, wisdom and and poetry books, excuse me. And they're they're the books of Psalm and Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Psalms. I'm going to add Lamentations in there, though you sometimes see Lamentations put with the Prophets. And you ever, once in a while, you even see somebody that that's puts it back into the history books uh, as well, though that'd be sliding it backwards a little bit. I put it into this wisdom and poetry. It flows very similar. These books are the writings of, of our different writings of some kings, writing of some leaders, writing of some worship groups. That these writings are written in a way where they are, they're meant to inspire. They're meant to lament you know why god are you doing this? they're they're meant to offer wisdom in how you do that they're meant to offer logic if this be why would not this not be these books are sandwiched together and they speak in these terms song of songs is a love story and it's a really interesting one there um, so if you want to go read that and um, and guys if you want to read that and try some of those lines out with your wife you know, in there, You're, you, you see some interesting stuff in the book, in the Song of Solomons there. Some very interesting things. Um, but these are like wisdom and poetry books that kind of work together, and that's why they're sandwiched there together. I love these books, especially in Psalm, because you may not know that at least a third of the Psalms are laments. They are people complaining to God, or they're people crying out to God. Why, God? When, God? How long, God? And God says, I'm okay to receive that from you. I'm okay. Keep your faith. Keep rolling with me. But I'm okay for you to voice your heart and where you're at. Lamentations, very similar to that uh, as well. So we get these history and poetry books. And then we get prophets. And you probably love to read prophets, don't you? Anybody just love? I know Mike Greer loves to read the prophets. So uh, his hand will go up high. But these can be tough ones to work through. But this is where we get a ton of references to the coming Christ, to God's plan, to what you need to do and acknowledge or something will happen. All of that is found in the prophets. They're broken up into two categories, the major prophets and the minor prophets. Now, we've, we've said this a couple times before, but do you remember the difference between what's called a major prophet and what's called a minor prophet? You can't answer? <laughs> So, no, what? She's trying to make a joke here, because she knew. Um, no, what? you throw me way off of my notes here this morning. Major and minor, well, major league, minor league, I got gotcha. you. It took me a moment to figure that out. So, excellent joke. So, major and minor profits. Um, what was the question I asked? What's the difference? Major and minor. Why are some major and some minor? Do you remember? Come on. We've gone through this twice on Sunday mornings before. Oh. Length of the writing. writing, Simple as that. Length of the writing. It's not has anything to do with importance there. Uh, It is the length of the writing. And our major books are much longer. They're Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, Daniel would be considered our major. Some people call Daniel kind of an intermediate in size. But those four would be considered our major prophets. But then our minor prophets, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Haggai, Zechariah, Malachi. There's a few names in there we call our kids, right? Those are some popular Bible names that pop out. I haven't heard too many Habakkuk's uh, name, but if you're still in that game and you might have more kids, you might choose Habakkuk. What a great name. All right. All right. Remember when I said that the history, my, my arms were out like this. Let's go over here and pretend this is the prophets over here. Not a separate place in history. Take these prophets, pick them up, slide them right over here, drop them into history. That's how we understand the prophets. The prophets er, show up in three different times. They're pre exile before Assyria and Babylon came in and wiped out the two kingdoms, right? We have pre exile That's where most of our prophets show up. If you want to circle these... As pre-exile, you can. All right, I'll go through them slow enough. If you're like, I, I don't, I don't really care, then you know, just I don't know, sit and stare at me for a second. Jonah, Amos, Hosea, Micah, Isaiah. Those are pre-Assyrian, uh, pre-exile. And then Nahum, Zephaniah, Habakkuk, Jeremiah, and Ezekiel, who actually falls in two categories, would be the pre-Babylonian uh, prophets. Then. Both kingdoms are wiped out, the northern and and southern kingdom, taken into captivity. And so we have, while in exile, in Babylon, we have two prophets, Ezekiel, who's a prophet in both pre and during, and one of our favorites. Do you remember who it is? Daniel shows up during the exile. So all those writings that Daniel has in the book of Daniel, all the writings about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, all of that show up in The exile. This is while he's in exile with a foreign king. God shows him grace and honor there in his position. Then eventually they're allowed to come back home to rebuild the wall. The book of Nehemiah is all about that. That's a history book. But the prophets that were there, Haggai, Zechariah, and Malachi, are our post-exile prophets. So when you're reading the prophets, it would be great if they just perfectly were chronological in how they're put in there, right? But they're not. They're not placed that way. And so you have to do a little bit of work there um, to see what are they talking about. So if somebody's a pre-exile prophet and they're talking about a destruction that's coming, we need to be careful. We don't say, oh, he's talking about end time stuff. Or he's talking about the Roman Empire in Jesus' day. They're likely talking about Babylon coming in. And so we just have to understand when we're reading those different things there. That's our Old Testament Now, I want to encourage you, don't skip out on the Old Covenant. Get in there and read. I also want to encourage you another way. The covenant in the Old Testament is not your covenant. It's not made for you. It's not made with you. There's so much to gain and understand in the Old Testament. We should be reading it, but what it really does is it will bring to life the covenant God made with you. It will help you know better what is that covenant all about. And let's just jump into that now. The New Testament, the New Covenant, it's made up of 27 books, right? 27 different writings. Most of those we call letters that were written. We even have a gospel that was clearly a letter, the book of Luke, that was written to someone. But they go by the name books. Now, the first time that this was Uh, this is canonized, are all put together to say, this is it. These are our 27 books, right? And we're moving on. That actually didn't happen to the 4th century, right? The the Council of Hippo and the Council of of Carthage put those together and say they're canonized. But it was flowing way before that. In fact, as early on as the mid-1st century, by 60 uh, AD, books and letters were being circulated around to the church And starting to be called scripture, starting to be given authority to be taught at the churches and to be followed and obeyed. Those early ones came from Paul and Peter's letters and likely the book of Mark and the book of of Luke uh, that were out there circulating. In a separate way, the book of John was circulating as well. And often John was circulating in places that the other books and letters were not. And so people were coming to know Jesus Christ simply with the gospel of John being read. So we start with the gospels. The good news, that's what gospels mean. And so this tells us about the good news of Jesus Christ. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Listen, I'm just gonna be blunt here. If you are a longtime Christian and you have not sat down and read the gospels, that's a problem. It's a problem. I mean, that is our guide. That is Jesus. That's what we're taught uh, about. Uh, that's how we know him. And so to open up and to read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Now, in our day and age, you can have it read to you, right? You can go to your Bible app and it can read, read it to you if you want, right? But got to track through these to understand who Jesus is. Case in point, do you know how many times I hear a quote or see something on Facebook from a Christian about Jesus, that I go, well, that's not accurate. That's not Jesus. I don't know where they got that one from, right? Because often we don't know the Jesus of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so if that's you this morning, you don't have to stand up, right? No. But if that's you, that is a place to start. Don't wait till January 1st. Get going in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Maybe you go, oh, I read Matthew, and now I'm starting Mark. Oh, it's very similar. I've already, I have already, already know this. No, you don't. It's a different author sharing Jesus in a different way. And they pick up on some of the same things, many of the same things, but they also speak it in different ways as well. They're all important to understanding. Here's how I would liken it. Take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Any of you, like, your music people, like, just listening to a, a little radio that sounds tinny on a small speaker just doesn't do it for you? You, you want to put together, I don't know, what, what do they call it, Andrew? Surround sound, that type of stuff. We don't call it that anymore. So, you, you don't know. You don't know. You just, you just leave me hanging up here. So, um. but if you're like, you're like, hey, I need to have the right bass or treble or the right, I mean, this over here and this behind me and this here. This is what I hear a praise team talking about with speakers and stuff like this. You know, that's kind of like the gospels. It's making sure everything is EQ'd qu- correctly, making sure you have the speakers. Going in the right places, the right uh, levels coming out of different things. And that's probably where I'll end the analogy since I don't know what I'm talking about. But that's making sure it's all correct and sounding the correct. That is what reading the four Gospels is like. Understanding Jesus in this way. Then we get this book that would really be the standalone history book of the New Testament. And that would be the book of Acts. And it shares about really the growth of the church. It picks up right Right after Jesus is rose from the dead, spends time with the disciples, he ascends into heaven, that's in the first chapter, and that, it goes from there and tells the story all the way up to Paul is arrested and taken into captivity at the end of the book of Acts. It shares about the growth of the church. Then, as I said, most of our letters that show up, uh, most of our books are actually letters And so we have this group of letters called the Pauline letters are the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote when the Apostle Paul who once persecuted Christians and became a Christian. He writes all these letters. He writes a letter to the to the church in Rome. Christians and believers in Rome. Then in Corinth, he writes, really, it, it could be one broken up into two, but we have it in our gospel, or we have it in our Testament as two. First and second Corinthians. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. These are all books to Galatia, to Ephesus, to Philippi, to Colossae. First and Second Thessalonians to the Thessalonica. And then we get what we call Paul's pastoral books, where he writes to a couple church leaders, young church leaders, Timothy and Titus. And so that is known as the Pauline letters. Every once in a while, you may see a biblical scholar that will take the next book, the book of Hebrews, which we call a standalone. And somebody will slide it into Paul's category and say, Paul must have wrote that. Or it must have been a scribe of Paul that wrote that. But in reality, we don't know who wrote the book of Hebrews. So Romans through uh, Philemon is actually the Pauline letters. These are the ones that Paul writes. Philemon, he writes it directly to uh, uh, an elder named Philemon uh, there. So those are the Pauline letters. And that's significant. We get a lot of our theology from these books. In fact, I encourage people, if you're, if you're having Bible study with maybe a baby Christian or new Christian, um, Romans is going to be a tough one to start in. <laughs> it's tough because it's so theologically rich and deep. So with Paul, jump into Philippians instead, where it's much more understandable for new Christians to read. So Paul runs the gamut in all of his different Christian instruction. Then as I said, Hebrews is a standalone, unknown author, a significant book on faith and how our faith is carried out. Then we get what's called just the general letters. And these are letters that is kind of grouped together by different authors. We've got one from James. We've got first and second Peter from Peter, first, second, third John, likely the same John as Uh, in the Gospels, but maybe not. Um, There'd be much more research to do uh, in that, uh, or to work through that with you today, and then the book of Jude as well. And these small books are instructing the church. The churches that they have impacted and believers that they've impacted, they are instructing them on how to carry this out. There's also this battle of Gnosticism that is working its way through the church in the late first century, and you'll see that show up a lot in the general letters as well, combating that that philosophy that's trying to sneak into the church. And then finally, we have everybody's favorite book. It's our only one that's considered apocalyptic. It's the book of Revelation. It's what we're going through on on Wednesday nights. It's weighty. It's tough. It has... 18 million different interpretations, depending on who you read about. It's all over the map on that. Um, The word apocalyptic simply means things that will be. Um, It's not necessarily last times, but things that will be, things that are ahead. And Revelation, more than any other New Testament book, is completely grounded in the Old Testament, in the Old Covenant, in uh, in what we read there as well. And so understanding Revelation we have to understand those others uh, as well and that is that is our bible these two covenants that are made with us listen you're not going to earn any great brownie points with god simply by being able to win a, a bible trivia contest it is about understanding this new covenant that's made with you through jesus and you living it out but how do you live it out how do you even know what to live out Well, we find it in God's Word. And so being active in God's Word every day is significant and central. And we're going to learn more about that and more about how it was canonized. Why didn't they include some other books? Did you know there's a Gospel of Thomas? Why isn't that in there, right? We'll talk about some of that when we talk about chapter and verse next week. Let's pray. Father, our hope and our goal is that Through talking about your word, it would inspire believers to get into your word. Lord, forgive us. Forgive us, Lord, as believers, how we've often spoke of how central this is, and yet in our private time, how little time we've spent in it. Lord, would you reverse that discipline in our life? Would you draw us to your word? Would you help us to long for it, that it is your voice written to us, spoken to us. And Lord, that when we open it up, we are hearing you speak, if we would give you time. So Lord, lead us into that. May we understand the covenants. May we embrace the covenant you've made with us as believers in you. Thank you for Christ and what you've done through him. I pray this in your son's name. Amen. Amen.